Hello, I'm Karen Filipkowski, and this is Old, New, Borrowed, Blue, a monthly podcast produced by the Madawaska Valley Public Library here in Barry's Bay. It's a great little place that certainly has nothing to do with those little places you sometimes hear about, you know, where you blink as you drive through and miss the whole town. Rather, in its own very unique way, Barry's Bay, as well as our other two local global villages, Combermere and Wilno, well, Together we possess something that you will find true everywhere in the township of the Madawaska Valley. None of us, as you can certainly discover, is typical of what you might expect. Even those of us who live here sometimes have to blink in amazement, given the goings-on both nowadays as well as back in the day. It's always been a pretty nifty place to raise a family or retire to after raising a family, but the township of Madawaska Valley has never been short on unexpected excitement. It's a place that can trace its curious history, not only back to the 19th century, but to well before that. As we have found over the past few months on this podcast, the Indigenous people of the Algonquin First Nation have lived here along the mighty Madawaska and awesome Opiango rivers for centuries, if not a millennium or two. They even had their own name for Barry's Bay, Kaunashne Ishning, or Beautiful Bay. And everybody who lives in the township of Madawaska Valley thinks that's pretty much bang on. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Even in blustery old November with its whipping winds and cold rains, its morning mist and nighttime frost, just wait for morning and something quite unexpected something quite magical happens, even in grumpy old November. At least for those of us who stop blinking long enough to look out our windows across the bay. But now, time to live up to the first of our podcast's four promises. Something old. Here's James DeFure with another inspiring installment from the History of Barry's Bay, a feature article written anonymously by a very well-researched local historian and published in the November 24th edition of the Barry's Bay Review, back in 1960, or nearly 61 years ago, next week. The Bank of Montreal, beside Barry's Bay Post Office, stands on the site of James Drohan's old livery stables, where once was heard the chomping and stamping of heavy workhorses after a hard day's pull, or work, now the rhythmic beat of adding and computing machines fills the working hours in an entirely modern and efficient bank that seems to handle, with ease, the economic needs of our expanding and prosperous community. Mr. McFarlane was, until recently, the bank's manager, and who, during his leisure time, was able to assist the Madawaska Valley Lions Club and other enterprises in gainful social and community efforts. Besides him, the bank had an assistant manager, two tellers, and four accounting clerks. Drohan's old farm, through which the Opiongo Road once meandered, and that's the right word, had been rapidly filling up with places of business and dwellings. Opposite Drohan's hotel, Mr. Goodrow operated a blacksmith show and did a thriving business shoeing the many horses that traveled the only through road in the vicinity. The country roundabout, after years of colonization by the Polish settlers, also kept up the demand for blacksmith work in the shop, even after immigrant traffic had faded away on the old road. The ever-popular Dominic P. Slim Coolis up-to-date clothing store currently sits on the site of Goodrow's blacksmith shop. Mr. Coolis bought it from John Skibo in 1928. 
the latter having purchased those premises in 1922 from the Drohan estate. Slim Coolis, a public-spirited young man, comes from pioneer stock himself. His father was born in this country only a year after his parents arrived from Poland in 1872. Slim married Barbara Bernacki and served on the village council, and still plays a prominent part in all the works of his parish. From Coolis's store, the Ampiogo Road took a quick turn westward into what is now the railroad right-of-way, and came out again on the main street, about where Palubiski's general store is located. But, for the moment, we are going to follow the old Apiongo line westward from Slim Coolis's to the first retail store established in Barry's Bay. It was owned by Frank Stafford, but managed by Henry George. This famous emporium, which always seemed to answer the needs of the most primitive, as well as those of the highest aesthetic tastes, has had a checkered career. Demolished once and then rebuilt, then damaged again by a fire or two, the store today is under the ownership of Charles J. Murray, who took over after the death of his brother Dan. The firm had operated for many years under the trade name of C&D Murray. Frank Stafford and Henry George came to Barry's Bay about the same time, around 1892, and, it is presumed, set up business together the following year on a convenient spot with an eye to the coming railroad, which was rapidly approaching our community. Besides being a good businessman, helpful and kind, Frank Stafford was also a good sport. Mike Trader, a pioneer Polish settler, walked into the store one day from Martin's Siding, a distance of several miles. He wanted to purchase a hundred-pound bag of flour for his family's needs. How are you going to get it home? asked Mr. Stafford, knowing there was no such modern convenience as a delivery service, at least not in that direction back in those days. Carry it, said Mike, as he placed the money on the counter. Well, well, said Stafford, with an amused twinkle in his eyes. If you can carry a hundred-pound bag of flour all the way to your home, I'll give you another bag, free of charge. The cheapest flour I ever got, replied Mike, as he hoisted one bag onto his shoulder, took another under his arm, walked up the railroad tracks, and never rested until he arrived home. The old Stafford store, known as Murray's Store today, services a wide field in this and surrounding communities. It is truly modern, but still has the old-time touch. Everything is on display and you can take as long as you want to pick and choose as you wish. The Imperial Oil Business, Hardware and Building Supplies, along with the General Store, also handled a large volume of trade at Murray's. The proprietor, as a boy, received his early training in store, which is now known as the Ontario Government Liquor Commission Store. Yes, Michael Donegan, who was living yet somewhere in Western Canada, once operated a combination of business and general merchandise and liquor store. That was in the days when you could supply a fairly large free-for-all with enough high wines for only 50 cents, from where the recently enlarged and embellished Liquor Commission store now stands. The closest center of this kind to the east is in Eganville, and to the west is in Huntsville. You may well believe that the volume of business is great at any time, but augmented considerably during the tourist season. Excellent highways bring a host of visitors, travelers, businessmen, and sightseers, both winter and summer. These are well accommodated in the Balmoral Hotel, as well as other motels, restaurants, boarding houses, and the finest homes of the villagers. It was not always thus, especially when Barry's Bay was a one-street struggling hamlet. The Balmoral, for example, had its origin in a scooped shanty known as Sullivan's Hotel, three miles west of the village, and before that, at Cuthbertson's stopping place at Bark Lake. Josh Billings, who hailed from the district line of Bromley Township, 
first operated that stopping place when he purchased from Cuthbertson. He then rented Sullivan's Hotel for two years, but with the coming of the railroad, he built the Balmoral Hotel here in town. It was such second hotel after James Drohan's Blueberry or Windsor Hotel, which had been established as a stopping place in 1879 when he first settled on a farm here. Mr. Billings began building his hotel without any money, and Mr. Joseph Prince, who had the distinction of owning and operating the first sawmill in the vicinity, supplied the rough timber and lumber for the hotel's construction. The finishing material and much of the furnishings arrived at the front door on the first freight train to arrive in Barry's Bay. That was on the 8th of September, 1894. Mr. Took supplied the roofing, and Moran and Ryan of Killaloo were the carpenters. The building progressed rapidly enough, due largely to Mr. Billings' ability to take a chance and the splendid cooperation he received from his associates. In those days, there must have been a good spirit abroad amongst the English-speaking element and the Polish pioneers, who began at that time to trickle into the hamlet from their rural holding and take their places in the business world of the gathering community. Mr. Prince had opened a retail business in the store opposite the Bank of Montreal, now occupied by F. Jakubowski Limited. Mr. Billings, as his hotel business progressed, paid Prince for his lumber in dribs and drabs. Every so often, he simply took a fistful of money out of the hotel till handed it to Mark, his son, who was just a boy then, and sent him along with the message to pay Mr. Prince. When the total was paid, Mark was simply told by Mr. Prince that enough had been received. No more was required. The coming of the Ottawa, Arnprior, and Perry Sound Railway in the autumn of 1894 definitely established Barry's Bay as a center for habitation and trade. The fastest means of travel and shipping up to that time was the horse. But horse traffic over the Ampiongo line had thinned out to a mere trickle. There was, therefore, danger that Barry's Bay, another old stopping place on the Ampiongo Road, would follow the pattern of other similar stopping places along the way, like Brudenell, for example. Once a thriving beehive of activity, that village rapidly became a ghost town. Still, the advent of the railroad, which played such an important role in the upbuilding of Canada, meant security for the struggling hamlet of Barry's Bay. J.R. Booth, lumber king and pioneer railroad builder, played an unostentatious but stellar role in establishing the OA and PS Railway. Under his direction in 1894, the station house, freight shed, and express rooms were constructed practically in the middle of Ampioga Road. At that time, E.T. Chamberlain was the general manager of the OA and PS, and C.T. Smith was general passenger agent. The first station master in Barry's Bay was Mr. Malloy. Then came Mr. Mackey. A timetable dated October 11th, 1894, showed that you could leave Ottawa after breakfast at 10.30 in the morning and arrive in Barry's Bay in time for dinner at 6 p.m. The timetable brochure goes on to talk about the new and elegant coaches operated by the OA and PS, which was also the shortest rail route to the west. These trains also connected at Renfrew, with trains on the Pembroke and Kingston Railway. The fare for a round trip from Ottawa to Barry's Bay was $1.50. Not bad for a new method of transportation that was a wonderful advance in speed, comfort, and economy. This rail service to Barry's Bay continued for five years under its banner as the OA and PS, though it was commonly called by its employees as the only abuse and poor salary railroad. Then, in 1899, it was amalgamated to become part of the Canada Atlantic Railway. In turn, the Canada Atlantic, the new name for the railway, was then sold in 1905 to the Grand Trunk Railroad and so the OA and PS name became extinct. 
1923, the Canadian National Railroad absorbed the old OA&PS line from the Grand Truck. Eventually, it cut off the through service to Perry Sound, dismantled the divisional headquarters in Madawaska, and constructed there instead an engine house and turning facilities so trains could be sent back to Ottawa. Barry's Bay made considerable progress in the last 90 years. With only a family or two to begin back in the 1870s, the village now has a population of over 2,000. And in a trip around town this summer, I counted 20 new homes in the process of construction. Such building goes steadily on, and a word of congratulation are in order for the owners of the new homes. In fact, for most of the homes in town, those buildings show excellent taste in being modern, substantial, and convenient. In and around town, there are 75 business establishments that adequately supply the needs of the townspeople and those in the surrounding district, as well as holiday makers and commercial people who visit the village. There is even a modern movie theater built by the late Frank Sabolsky, with very up-to-date equipment and the latest in feature movies. For many years, the Right Reverend P.B. Bernacki, D.P., supplied family entertainment for the entire village in St. Hedwig's Parish Hall, at first providing silent movies and later of the speaking animated variety. Now that's progress. Now wasn't that interesting? Thank you, James. But on to something new. For that, we're joined by Julia Beggs, who always walks around the library with the biggest smile, probably because she's the first to know about new books about to be put on the shelves each month at the library, to say little of what she probably knows about new things happening with the many programs that we run here at the Madawaska Valley Public Library. Take it away, Julia. It's that time of year when we start thinking about Christmas. Whether you are looking for Christmas cookbooks, craft books, children's activities, or family activities for the coming holidays, we have you covered. If you're new to the Madawaska Valley Public Library, one of the best ways to gear up for the holidays is by playing something we call Christmas trivia. Using the honor system, the library is offering an activity that's fun for the whole family, if not the whole neighborhood. We call it Take Home Christmas Trivia. Simply gather together six of your family and friends to make up your team. Then, over the holidays, meet in person, online, or a combination of both, so that you are not limited by location. In fact, it's best to pick a day and time to meet with your team between December 23rd and January 3rd. But first, you have to register at the library no later than December 10th. Our information packages will be ready for pickup by December 20th, and it will cost $25 per team to enter. What a great way to support your local library. Or how about having a movie night on us? If you're a library patron, simply stop by the library and pick up a movie night kit. Each kit will have a surprise Christmas DVD to unwrap. And that's not all. The kit also includes a scrump delicious cookies recipe and hot chocolate mix and a keepsake movie ticket. So reserve your movie night kit by December 4th. They'll be ready for pickup on December 21st, just in time for the holidays. Or how fun would it be to pick up a bundle of books wrapped in Christmas paper? Contact the library no later than November 19th to reserve a bundle of wrapped books for your children to enjoy over the holiday season. Each bundle contains 10 books and all you need to do is sign up with your library card. We will also once again be offering our very popular children's craft kits for the holidays. So make sure you drop by the library and check out what's involved. They include nifty crafts that kids take home for the holidays and will just love. Just talk to the library staff. And you don't have to be one of Santa's elves to learn how to make stuff. It's easy peasy. Finally, do we have a deal for you? Some of you may not know that our local library subscribes to a rotating collection of DVDs that can offer a wide variety of viewing choices. Every three to four months, the current library DVD pool that we have on loan is swapped out for a completely new pool of DVDs. In fact, we have two new pools of DVDs that are being unpacked and shelved as we speak. So drop by and check out our new collection. And just when you thought it couldn't get any better, at least for those of you who love to read graphic novels, we're here to tell you about a new addition to the library. 
We are participating in a small but rapidly growing group of pool of graphic novels. Indeed, we recently unpacked a whole new collection of graphic novels. Similar to our rotating DVD pool, these graphic novels will be sure to have something for anyone who loves a book that often reads like a movie. Thank you for that, Julia. Now for something borrowed, or the library's way of giving you a heads up on books or other things that keep flying out the door here at the library every week. It's a great way to hear about what's popular, if not all the rage, when it comes to great books, and not just those spanking brand new ones Julia just mentioned, but also those old dog-eared classics that everybody still wants to borrow. But Julia's also in the know about other things that often get loaned out here at the library, like those free passes that we give out to various provincial parks and national museums, too numerous to mention. Again, take it away, Julia. We have a very tattered and worn copy of Stuart McLean's Home from the Vinyl Cafe, which includes a fan-favorite Christmas story, Dave Cooks the Turkey, a must-read for many now every Christmas season. This book of Stuart McLean was purchased in 1999 and has endured the test of time. It has been checked out regularly over the past 22 years and remains very high on the library's all-time borrowed list. Just so you know, it's a story about hapless Dave, who is at it again, promising his beloved wife, Morley, that he will take care of the Christmas turkey, while she takes care of the kids to work at the food bank. What Dave fails to realize is what's involved in cooking a turkey. The result is a struggle to beat all the odds and somehow get an unappetizing, frozen, and slightly scarred bird home and roasted in time for Christmas dinner before Morley cooks Dave's goose. Another book on our list that is sure to go frequently off the shelves, especially during the holiday season, is Patrick Taylor's newest book, An Irish Country Christmas. If you're looking for a cozy Christmas read, this one is for you. Patrick Taylor, MD, is the author of a whole series of Irish country books, including An Irish Country Doctor, An Irish Country Village, An Irish Country Christmas, An Irish Country Girl, and An Irish Country Courtship. Taylor was born and raised in Bangor, County Down in Northern Ireland, but after qualifying as a specialist in 1969, he moved to Canada, where he spent over 30 years. He now lives in Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. An Irish Country Christmas is one of his best stories. Barry Laverty, MD, is looking forward to his first Christmas in the cozy village of Ballybuckleboo, at least until he learns that his sweetheart Patricia might not be coming home for the holidays. That unhappy prospect dampens his spirit somewhat, but Dr. Barry has little time to dwell on his romantic disappointments. Christmas may be drawing nigh, but there's a little peace to be found on earth, especially for a young doctor plying his trade in Emerald Hills of rural Ireland. Along with his senior partner, Dr. Fingal Flartherdy O'Reilly, the good Dr. Barry has his hands full dealing with seasonal coughs and colds, as well as the occasional medical emergency. To add to the doctor's worries, competition arrives in the form of a patient approaching new physician whose quackery threatens the health and well-being of the good people of Ballybuckleboo. Can one territory support three hungry doctors? Dr. Barry has his doubts. The wintry days and nights, however, are not without a few tindlings of comfort and joy. Between their hectic medical practices, rugby club parties, and Kitty's Christmas pageants, the two doctors still find time to play Santa Claus to a struggling single mother with a sick child with not enough money in the bank. Snow is rare in Ulster, but so are miracles. Yet, that doesn't mean that they'll never happen. Finally, big on our borrowed list of book favorites is something that might actually surprise you. Ebooks and audiobooks have become increasingly popular over the years and are a great option for those who don't mind reading from a digital device and can't get to the library on a frequent basis. But with your library card, you can always access downloadable books and audiobooks simply by going to the MV Public Library website and signing up for our online platform called Overdrive. A goodly number of patrons borrow library books using this platform on a regular basis. In fact, we have on average about 300 checkouts per month of both ebooks and audiobooks combined. Pretty impressive when you think of not only what patrons borrow from the library, 
but also how they borrow. That was Julia Beggs with her rundown of what's hot at the library, or books that you might want to consider in time for Christmas. But you'd be best to reserve them ASAP, given that they are hot stuff, if not hotly pursued, by a lot of the local library patrons. Sometimes, though, people just want to come to the library, especially in November if the weather is making them feel a little blue. What most want is maybe just a great story to distract them from all their troubles. It doesn't have to be long or even action-packed with car chases and the like. No, even a simple five-minute fairy tale might do the trick. A story that parents or grandparents would love to read to their children or grandchildren, or, if the truth must be known, and it must, a five-minute story that children and grandchildren love to have read to them, especially if they're feeling blue on a cold, blustery November afternoon. So here, once again, just what the doctor ordered, is our favorite blues buster, Rob Filipkowski, with his well-thumbed copy of Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Tale book. A perfect antidote, or should that be antidote, to chase away those November blues. Today, Rob's got one of those great five-minute stories full of wonderful things, but no car chases. It's called Rumpelstiltskin. Take it away, Rob. There was once upon a time a poor miller who had a very beautiful daughter. Now it happened one day that he had an audience with the king, and in order to appear a person of some importance, he told the king that he had a daughter who could spin straw into gold. Now that's a talent worth having, said the king to the miller. If your daughter is as clever as you say, bring her to my palace tomorrow, and I'll put her to the test. When the girl was brought to the king, he led her into a room full of straw, gave her a spinning wheel and spindle, and said, now, set to work and spin all night till early dawn, and if by that time you haven't spun the straw into gold, you shall die. Then he closed the door behind him and left her alone inside. So the poor miller's daughter sat down and didn't know what in the world she was to do. She hadn't the least idea of how to spin straw into gold, and became at last so miserable that she began to cry. Suddenly the door opened and in stepped a tiny little man and said, Good evening, Miss Millermaid. Why are you crying so bitterly? Oh, answered the girl, I have to spin straw into gold and haven't a notion how it's done. What will you give me if I spin it for you? asked the mannequin. My necklace, replied the girl. The little man took the necklace, sat himself down at the wheel, and whirr, whirr, whirr. The wheel went round three times, and the bobbin was full. Then he put on another and Whirr, 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 the wheel went round three times, and the second, too, was full. And so it went on till the morning, when all the straw was spun away, and all the bobbins were full of gold. As soon as the sun rose, the king came, and when he perceived the gold, he was astonished and delighted, but his heart only lusted more than ever after the precious metal. He had the miller's daughter put into another room full of straw, much bigger than the first, and bade her, if she valued her life, spin it all into gold before the following morning. The girl didn't know what to do, and began to cry. Then the door opened as before, and the tiny little man appeared and said, What'll you give me if I spin the straw into gold for you? The ring for my finger, answered the girl. The mannequin took the ring, and whirr, round went the spinning wheel again. And when morning broke, he had spun all the straw, into glittering gold. The king was pleased beyond measure at the sights, 
but his greed for gold was still not satisfied, and he had the miller's daughter brought into a yet bigger room full of straw, and said, You must spin all this away in the night, but if you succeed this time, you shall become my wife. She's only a miller's daughter, it's true, he thought, but I couldn't find a richer wife if I were to search the whole world over. When the girl was alone, the little man appeared for the third time and said, What'll you give me if I spin the straw for you once again? I've nothing more to give, answered the girl. Then promise me when you are queen to give me your first child. Who knows what may not happen before that, thought the miller's daughter. And besides, she saw no other way out of it, so she promised the mannequin what he demanded. And he set to work once more and spun the straw into gold. When the king came in the morning and found everything as he had desired, he straightway made her his wife, and the miller's daughter became a queen. When a year had passed, a beautiful son was born to her, and she thought no more of the little man, till, all of a sudden one day, he stepped into her room and said, Now give me what you promised. The queen was in a great state, and offered the little man all the riches in her kingdom, if he would only leave her the child. But the mannequin said, No, a living creature is dearer to me than all the treasures in the world. Then the queen began to cry, and sobbed so bitterly that the little man was sorry for her, and said, I'll give you three days to guess my name, and if you find it out in that time, you may keep your child. Then the queen pondered the whole night over all the names she had ever heard, and sent a messenger to scour the land, and to pick up far and near any names he could come across. When the little man arrived on the following day, she began with Casper, Melchior, Belshazzar, and all the other names she knew in a string. But at each one the mannequin called out, That's not my name. The next day, she sent to inquire the names of all the people in the neighborhood, and had a long list of the most uncommon and extraordinary for the little man when he made his appearance. Is your name, perhaps, Sheepshanks, Crookshanks, Spindleshanks? But he always replied, That's not my name. On the third day, the messenger returned and announced, I have not been able to find any new names, but as I came upon a high hill round the corner of the wood where the foxes and hares bid each other good night, I saw a little house, and in front of the house burned a fire, and round the fire sprang the most grotesque little man, hopping on one leg and crying, Tomorrow I brew, today I bake, and then the child away I'll take. For little deems my royal dame, that Rumpelstiltskin is my name. You can imagine the queen's delight at hearing the name. And when the little man stepped in shortly afterward and asked, Now, my lady queen, what's my name? She asked first, Is your name Conrad? No. Is your name Harry? No. Is your name perhaps Rumpelstiltskin? Some demon has told you that! Some demon has told you that! screamed the little man, and in his rage he drove his right foot so far into the ground that it sank in up to his waist. Then, in a passion, he seized the left foot with both hands and tore himself in two. Now wasn't that something up and gone like a puff of moody old blue smoke, and not even a whiff of an old beat-up B.W. microbus in it, not even a single mention of a banged-up old half-ton jalopy? Who knew a good story doesn't need them? 
But sad to say, that does it for today for all of us here at the Madawaska Valley Public Library in the heart of beautiful downtown Barry's Bay, Canada's answer to the Global Village. I'm Karen Filipkowski, and for Julia Beggs, James DeFure, and Rob Filipkowski, thanks for spending your always valuable time with us today. We look forward to seeing you someday soon at 19474 Opiongo Line, that special place in Barry's Bay where you can always find something old, new, borrowed, and blue. Cheerio.